Thanks, John. Great. Well, welcome again. Um, it's good that we're here together to look at God's Word. Um, if you haven't been with us in the last few weeks, we've been uh, looking at the book of Joshua, and we've just started. So if you haven't caught up on the last few weeks, you're not too late. Um, you can watch on, uh, go on the website and click on to talks and find the last two or three talks that introduce us to Joshua. If you've got a Bible or a phone, I encourage you to have it out. We're going to be looking at a few scriptures this morning, so please do um, dig into the Word with me. I wonder if someone asked you, what was the theme of Pride and Prejudice by, jo by Jane Austen? Uh, what were the big themes in that book? Well, I guess the answer might have been given away by the title, eh? How many of you have watched it many times on television? It seems to be on every Christmas, doesn't it? Or how about the big themes of Mission Impossible? Again, maybe the title gives away what some of the themes are of that film. But what about the big themes of the Bible? Okay, what would you say? Some of us are quite new to Christian faith or we're exploring Christian faith, so perhaps you haven't got a clue. <laughs> That's fine, absolutely fine. Some of you have been reading the Bible for many, many years. What would you say some of the big themes were? Deliverance. Deliverance, yeah, good one. Any other takers? God's grace, love, trust, forgiveness, many, many things. Salvation, history, Jesus, the coming of God's kingdom. I mean, we could go on, couldn't we? Because the Bible is full of, um, of just who God is and how he has been working throughout history. But um, one of the themes running through the Bible, and we're going to touch on this today, is about covenant. Okay? Now, covenant not, is not a word that we use very often. Um, some of you may never have used it or know what it means. We talk about sometimes a deed of covenant on a property, okay? And it's an agreement of terms between two equal parties, usually in a house purchase. It's a buyer and a seller. Um, and both need to adhere to what is agreed in the deed of covenant. Well, God instituted covenants, okay, uh, in the Old Testament with key chosen leaders, Abraham and Moses. Now, I need to remember to try and use this. Are we on? We are on. There we are. Great. So, Joshua 5 we're looking at, if you've got it in front of you now, okay? But in Exodus 19, this is where God establishes covenant. He says to Moses, Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special people. You will be my own special um, treasure um, from among all the peoples on the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message, God says to Moses, you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. If you will obey me and keep my covenant. See this theme that we're coming into today. But rather than this theme being, uh, this covenant being between two equals uh, in human terms, like a document we may sign, it's between God 
the faithful one, always keeping covenant and with people, people like you and me, and who may say they want to obey God, but if you're anything like me, are sometimes forgetful, willful, weak, fickle, and we don't keep covenant. But the message that we get through the Bible is that God is the God who keeps covenant, okay? His love is a dedicated love. I'm trying to use the clicker, Ben, at this moment in time. Okay. And in the Hebrew language, the word used here is hesed. I'm not saying that properly. If you've got a Jewish background, please forgive me. But hesed means a dedicated love. It's a a love rooted in God's covenant. And due to the nature of God, he cannot break that. He cannot break it. So why is knowing that God is a God who makes and keeps his covenant with people of faith important as we read Joshua 5 this morning, okay? So if you scan down Joshua 5 again, um, I guess you didn't come to church this morning expecting to hear about large-scale circumcision operations and the time it takes to heal. Now, some of the guys are crossing their legs at this point in time, okay? But... You know, this is, it's in scripture, and we're not going to focus on the ins and outs of, of circumcision operations. However, the reason that this corporate act uh, in the history of Israel is so important, um, as Joshua began his leadership of the people, is that this ceremony was an act to reestablish the covenant between God and his people, Okay. So that's the point of this. It's about re-establishing covenant. So firstly, let us know that the act of circumcision wasn't uh, enacted on males in community. It was not solely something that happened in the Jewish community. This act was and is a common practice in the Middle East amongst Jews and Muslims too. So that in itself doesn't make this account important. When God first asked Abraham to circumcise all the males in the community, it was in Genesis 17, okay? And, uh, sorry, Uh, it was in Genesis 17, and what he said there was, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility, This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised, listen up, as a sign of the covenant between me and you, okay? So for God instructing this, it wasn't a physical act that counted so much. The act was a sign. It was a pointer. It was a reminder of the covenant, a covenantal sign. As we've said, it's not a unique practice in Israel, but it was made unique by the emphasis that God placed on it, the symbolism that God placed on it. It was a sign for every individual Israelite reminding him and his family of the covenantal obligation to obey God, okay? But the issue was that after the Israelites came out of Egypt, they disobeyed God, 
I think we know that. They kind of wandered, didn't they? They wandered in their faith. They wandered in the wilderness. They forgot the obligations that they had to this God who had made an everlasting covenant with them. So they wandered around, 40 years we're here, and a whole generation died off. And so here we are at the start of the story of the people is, uh, sorry, here we are at the part of the story of the people of Israel where Moses, I have to say I feel kind of sorry for Moses. He was leading this bunch of rebellious people through a desert, through the wilderness, um, and he couldn't himself even lead them into the promised land. Moses has now died. Joshua, as we've heard in the last few weeks, has taken over as the leader. And here is God calling in the covenant, wanting to reestablish the covenant with his people. Because the Israelites hadn't circumcised their people since Egypt. But God brings them back to the covenant relationship he had with them. Deuteronomy 7, if you want to look that up at some stage, said, The Lord did not set his heart on you and chose you because you were more numerous than other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you, and he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors. This is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and for the oppressive hand of Egypt. Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He is the faithful God who, this is still Deuteronomy 7, keeps his covenant for a thousand generations. Now, in the, the way that the Hebrew language would use the, the thousands, it just means kind of endlessly, for endless generations, God is committed to his people and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love and obey his commands. But he does not hesitate, this is still Deuteronomy 7, he does not hesitate to punish and destroy those who reject him. Therefore, you must obey all these commands, decrees, and regulations I'm giving you today. You see, God was keeping his side of the bargain in continuing to lead and to guide and to bless this nation by leading them into the land that he had promised, which is what we've been seeing. Despite their failing, God, this God, our God, is a covenant-keeping God. And fortunately, especially the men will be glad to know, we don't have to undergo circumcision rites physically to prove our allegiance to him. But, and this is a big but, the Israelites had not kept their side of the bargain in any way. Do you remember the golden calf incident in Exodus 32? Moses is up a mountain. He's meeting with God. I, I can't imagine what that was like for Moses up a mountain, can you? Actually meeting God, hearing from God, getting instructions from God. And meanwhile, down the mountain, what are the people doing? We know, some of us will know that story really well. They are forging, burning, or putting all their gold together and making idols to worship from gold. I, I, I stop because I, I'm trying to imagine God's heart in that. He's reaching out to his people and he's giving them instructions and he's a covenant-keeping God and his people are 
meanwhile down making golden idols to worship instead of worshipping the true and the living God. And we see that there was punishment. God did judge them. A whole generation passed away before Joshua led this newer uh, generation into the promised land and called them back to remember their side of the covenant. And so God reestablishes in Joshua 5 here, he reestablishes this sign, this reminder to them of the covenant between God and his people. You know, even Moses wasn't excluded from that judgment. Those of us that know our Bibles will know that Moses didn't even get to enter the promised land. He got to see it from Mount Nebo, but he never got to enter it for his own disobedience as well. The message seems to be don't trifle with this almighty, loving, faithful, and covenant-keeping God. We then read about Gilgal. Gilgal, um, in the Hebrew language, sounds like rolled away. And it's named that because God rolled away the reproach or the shame. Now, what was that about? Because they'd been slaves, perhaps they'd been in slavery, perhaps they hadn't been circumcising their males, so the shame of that. But God rolls away their shame. So where does this leave us? Um, As with many of the pointers we have in the Old Testament, God takes us on into requiring a circumcision or a purification of our hearts. Jeremiah 4 verse 4 God says, change your hearts or circumcise your hearts. So even in the Old Testament, we kind of move to this image of not a physical act of circumcision, but a circumcision or a changing or a cleansing of our hearts that God now requires of us, that we do away with other idols. I guess there's nobody sitting in this room today that's got a golden calf sitting in their lounge. Maybe we have other things. It's amazing the things that people have that they worship, maybe from other faiths. But we worship other things. What do we worship in our lives? What takes our time and energy and attention? I wonder, our family, our careers, focusing on temporal things that will pass away. I wonder if other things squeeze out God in our thoughts and detract us from obeying him and walking in his ways. So how do we do this? How do we circumcise our hearts? How do we make them pure so that we are not, uh, so that we remain devoted to God and not stray off into all sorts of lewd and base things that the Israelites got up to? Maybe we, maybe I think that such things are hidden from God, the things that go on in my heart. But God sees and knows our hearts. And he knows if our hearts are fully devoted to him. Romans 2 and verse 29. Sorry, these are really (laughs) not in order. Sorry. Romans 2 and verse 29. Let's look at this. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. So the people of God. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit not by the written code. 
such a person's praises, not from other people, but from God. This pleases God, in other words. So how do we do this circumcision of our heart? How do we cleanse our hearts? How do we change our hearts, as Jeremiah says? The Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. It's by the Holy Spirit that we're able to do this. Deuteronomy 30 says, the Lord God will, will change your hearts. I don't know about you, but John's shared this morning, you know, trying to change our characters, trying to change, trying to change. And of course, there are things we can do to try to change, which we need to do. We need to do our bit. But we need the Holy Spirit. We need God's help, don't we, to actually change our hearts. We cannot do this by ourselves. And his promise is that he will do it. Friends, God is utterly committed in a covenantal relationship to live alongside us, to live, to walk with us. Do you remember Jesus when he shared the Last Supper with his disciples? Do you remember what he says? He holds the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant, the new agreement in his blood. We have a sign every time we take communion of the new covenant that God makes with us by the blood of Jesus so that we can live in an overwhelmingly secure covenantal relationship with God that he will not break. Friends, today, some of us may be like the Israelites as we sit here this morning. We maybe are conscious that we have wandered Maybe we have felt a bit in a wilderness that may have been of our own making. Maybe we've got involved in things that actually deep down in our hearts we know displease God. That maybe make him angry. I just sense that if you feel God is pointing out some area of your life that needs purification, purifying our hearts, please don't despair Please don't despair and think, oh, I can't, I can't go to that church. I can't go there. I can't go to my home group. I can't because God would never accept me. If you feel shame because of your past, you know, because of the blood of the new covenant, our shame has been rolled away. Our shame has been taken away by that. And one of the great encouragements I take from Joshua 5 this morning is that God is a God of second chances. God is a God of second chances, friends, this morning. New beginnings. This was a new start for the Israelites under Joshua's leadership. The shame of the past was gone. The sign of the renewal of the covenant has been undertaken. Praise God that Jesus, in shedding his blood, gives us an eternal sign of the covenant with him. But we need to step up to the covenant. We need to demonstrate our commitment to him as we cleanse our hearts. I love the end of the story here, the account in Joshua 5, where Joshua, after they have done this renewal, the reestablishing of their covenant, um, the Israelites have obeyed. They've responded to this offer of a second chance to commit to covenant with God. And God sends a messenger to Joshua, verse 11, verse 13 onwards, sorry. Um, this is indeed holy ground. 
When we do business with God, when we purify our hearts, when we seek and ask the Holy Spirit to renew our love for Jesus and walk in his ways, then this is indeed a holy space. This place right here inside HHBC this morning can be a holy space as we encounter God afresh this morning. We're going to take a couple of moments just to sit in silence and just to ask the Lord ourselves inwardly. We're not praying out loud here, but just to ask the Lord, is there something in my life that is displeasing? Have I wandered? Have I drifted? Have I worshipped other things? Of course, we won't say that we'll bow down to them, but we, they consume our time and energy and attention away from God. Let's just be silent as we think on those things. Remember, God is a God of second chances. God longs to reestablish his covenant with us this morning. God, as we sit before you this morning, we have to acknowledge that we are not so unlike the Israelites, that we are prone to wander as well, that our hearts are taken up with other things other than you. We have not remained devoted to you. We allow other things to crowd in, to take our time and attention. We idolize other things. God, would you point out those things where we need to purify our hearts again? We come before you, Lord, because you are a God who has made the way possible for us to come back to you by the blood of Jesus, that sign of the everlasting covenant that you have with us. And we do so gladly. We do so humbly acknowledging our need of you this morning, Lord Jesus Christ. Come afresh by your spirit and purify our hearts. 
that we can walk with you in a close relationship, that we can be obedient to you. There is no other place, there's no other way, God, that we know your blessing in our lives. And we gladly come to you this morning, Lord God. If you want to pray with somebody else, as we mentioned earlier, then please just come down to this end here and somebody can come and pray with you. Sometimes it helps, you know, to just pray and confess before somebody else and somebody else to pray alongside us. Please take that opportunity. But we're going to sit together. We're just going to continue to sit and sing as a prayer. I lift my eyes. It's a, it's a prayer of recommitment, really. I lift my eyes to the coming king, to the great I am. I will serve no foreign god nor any other treasure. You are my heart's desire, your spirit without measure. So let's sing and pray, and as we pray this prayer together. <laughs> 